gonna take a Bible reading from Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to 19. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And speaking in human terms, because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. The last time we talked about consequences of considering yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. And we looked at the negative consequences, the positive consequences, and how these consequences are possible. We talked about uh, under the negative consequences, do not let sin go on raining in your mortal body. Do not go on yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. The positive consequences we said, go on yielding yourselves to God as one alive from the dead. Go on yielding your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Under how are these consequences possible? We said you are not under law but under grace, so sin will not rule over you. Today we are going to look about we are going to talk about slaves of righteousness. I will look at this under three headings basically. Know who you are under, know who you are a slave of, and know what kind of slave you are. We start with the first one. Know who you are under. Now, if you take a look at verse 15, we see, Then what? Shall we sin because we are not being under law, but being under grace? May it never be. So, know who you are under. Are you under law or are you under grace? And it says we are under grace. Now, if you see verse 1, it says, Shall we go on living in sin that grace may increase? It says, May it never be again. Now, verse 1 is saying, Living, continuing in sin. A present continuous tense. In this our verse, it just says, Shall we sin? There is talking about the lifestyle of sin that grace may increase. Here is sin just sit to sin under grace and the first time he responded that this is totally impossible for you to say you are living a lifestyle of sin and grace will increase now paul is even talking about the impossibility of even sinning under grace and when we come to this verse we see three people come to us and I will, it's only one that we must listen to among these three people. And these three people are license, legalism, and liberty. License, legalism, and liberty. Now, license as usual is the one that comes with that question. Shall we sin? Shall we sin? It doesn't say, shall we not sin? 
They say, shall we sin? That is the question it always comes with. Because I'm under grace. It's just like a Christian who comes and asks, can we smoke weed as Christians under grace? Can we listen to secular music as Christians under grace? That is the kind of questions they always come with. They don't come with, can we not sin? Can we not sin? Can we not do this as under grace? They are not always looking for ways to be holy. They are looking for the bare minimum they can do. And that is always the kind of question license always asks. And license is one of the enemies of liberty and our freedom in Christ. It's one of the ways of losing our freedom in Christ. You lose this your freedom by slipping down into this swamp of the flesh. And this swamp of the flesh is your is being in bondage to your own desires. And when you get in bondage to your own desires, you are under the wrath of God again. Something you have escaped by coming to the faith. Paul calls license the works of the flesh in Galatians. They are like a swamp. It's easy to slide into, but hard to get out. And there's a warning if we go on, deliberately and willfully choose to live in that swamp, then we won't inherit the kingdom of God. License occurs when a Christian mistakenly believes that their freedom in Christ allows them to ignore divine laws. License says we are saved without works. We can live anywhere we want. It doesn't matter. It says we are free to sin. We have freedom. License says how we live does not matter. And this comes from the imagination that based on what Christ has done or his finished works, we need do nothing. So you, it, according to license, you can have some kind of believers in their understanding of grace, you can have believers who claim that they profess the faith, whose lives are not transformed. They tell you that good works is only necessary for rewards. That you can be a believer without being a disciple of Christ. You can be justified without being sanctified. Without there being a change in the lifestyle. That's what license tells us. And totally, we must reject that. Christ never set us free to go back in sin. To go back into bondage. Now, there's a second person that we see here again. And this is legalism. Legalism is the one that says we cannot sin because we are under law. Legalism says we are going to make sure that you are not free to sin by making rules and regulations. And you see different churches making their rules and regulations that are beyond scriptures. And they make the people very, very 
hard-hearted people. People that are in bondage, that are in chains and shackles. Tell them that if they don't clean chairs in the church, if they don't wash the toilet, they cannot make it to heaven. They make the Christian life so hard that it's almost like as if you, you need to get saved every minute. That how much can I do to actually make it to heaven? It's like a very, very hard ladder that you need to climb. How much good works can I do to, to make it to heaven? It makes Christianity like a kind of do-good religion. A kind of moralism. And trying to keep the law makes people tough and hard. Legalism is as much an enemy to liberty as licenses. Legalism says my works and my, my salvation. And this comes from an imagination that is all down to us based on what we can do for the Lord. You remember those people in John 6 asked the Lord, what can we do to do the works of the Lord? And the Lord says, just believe. They have the first idea that they can actually do God's work. Only God can do God's work. Say, what shall we do? And the Lord said, just believe. Just have faith. And everything will work out well. The guy is it makes you, you lose your freedom by slipping back into the law. If you get back under the law, you are under the wrath of God again because you can't keep the law. The law demands that you keep it 100%. You keep it perfectly. And none of us can keep the law. Whether the Lord Jesus Christ has kept the law fully. We have been set free not to go back into bondage into the law. The guys, it makes the Christian faith a matter of rules, 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 rules than relationships. He says, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. But a relationship with God has been lost. It makes it say, pray this, uh, uh, pray five times a day. Pray six times a day. Something that is meant to be a delight. They make it to a very, very hard duty. If your prayers is not up to three hours, then you are not a Christian. Just example, for example, the Pharisees in our Lord's day, they made Sabbath a very, very hard duty. Something that was meant to make man rest, they now started making it mechanical. If you do this on a Sabbath, then you are breaking the Sabbath. If you take so so and so work at a mile, you are breaking the Sabbath. If you if you should off your light switch, you are breaking the Sabbath. You have done work. So something that was meant to bring rest, something that was meant to bring freedom for people, that now become a burden. The guy that makes you hypocritical. That is one thing. Makes you like a Pharisee. Because certainly you can't keep all the laws. And you are telling others to keep it. It makes you an hypocrite. 
And you see people having started in the faith, they are going back to work salvation, which is tragic. Legalism causes Christians to believe that keeping the law gives them merit before God. That it can end their salvation. And let's look at the third man, which we are all to listen to. And this third man is liberty. Liberty is the one that replies when license comes and says, Shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. But when legalism says, For us not to sin, we must go back to the law. And liberty comes and says, May it never be. It says, God forbid. Liberty says, We are free not to sin. The shackles, the chains have been taken away for us not to sin. What a great freedom that is. Sin matters in the life of the believer, but Christ has freed you from its power. This liberty can be easily lost. That's the truth. It can be lost to legalism, it can be lost to license. And as Edmund Box puts it, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. In quote, we have to keep our freedom. Liberty says, I have been freed from sin to live in purity. We live in the freedom of the spirit. And the foundation is faith in the Son. Liberty helps us to enjoy the Christian life. We must walk in the liberty of the Spirit. Liberty is not doing what you want. And it is not doing what others tell you. It is letting the Spirit guide you. No unbeliever has this freedom not to sin. They can't. They are always in bondage to sin. They don't, they don't have the freedom to say, to say, I choose not to sin. Only believers have that freedom. Liberty says we are saved for works. They are good works. Works of love. Works that have been prepared beforehand by the Father. Liberty doesn't say, what can I do to please it to the Lord? It doesn't say, we have, God has done everything, then I have nothing to do. Liberty asks, what are those good works that God, you have prepared for me, that I may walk in it? And the Spirit begins to show him those good works that God has prepared beforehand. Let's get on to the second edit. Know who you are a slave of. Know who you are a slave of. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you go on union yourself as slave for obedience, you are being slaves to whom you go on obeying, whether of sin to death or obedience to righteousness? When Paul asks, Do you not know? You pause and ask yourself, do I know? Because he expects us to know 
this and we must pay attention is appealing to common sense is appealing to something that is, a, that is logical basically for us to understand and Paul in this verse gives us two options like Joshua in his day said choose this day whom you shall serve Paul is telling us choose this day whom you shall be a slave to choose this day whom you shall be a slave to he gives us two masters and their wages the first master is sin and its wage is death the second master is obedience and his wage is righteousness and every Christian is to respond as for me and my house we choose to be slaves to obedience do you not know whom you go on yielding yourselves as slaves for obedience the natural part of a slave is to obey there's no such thing as disobedience for the slave you go on to go and meet someone or just like maybe you are working you have a job and you're under a bus for you in that company your natural inclination is to obey because if you don't obey, you are not going to get your wages at the end of the day. So for you to obey, you have to have your wages at the end of the day. You have to have your payment. Obedience is necessary for that payment. So if we yield ourselves as slaves to any Lord, we become slaves to that Lord. If I sell myself to a Lord, I then become the slave of that Lord. And the Lord has power over his slave. And the characteristic of the power is that it is a totalitarian and exclusive power. It takes total control of your life. Every area. There is no area that the Lord can't take control in its slave's life. If you are a slave, basically, of a Lord, you could be sleeping by maybe 2 a.m. Your Lord could just call you and wake you up. And you have the right to answer him. Because it takes total control. There's no part of your life that is hidden from the Lord. There's no, there's no free time, there's no spare time for the slave. There's no time for rest. Total. Anytime the Lord needs you, you get you are to be there. And it's exclusive. No other person can be your Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, you can't be a slave to two masters. You can't be a slave to God and Mammon. Either you are devoted to one and you despise the other. That is the power that the Lord has. It's a totalitarian and exclusive power. No other person can share it. So if we hand over ourselves to be slave to the Lord, we are in their hands, we are under their grips, and under their authority. So whatever this Lord says will be, where they are subject, we are no longer, I'm no longer a free man. The Lord decides what I do and what I am. The master whom you choose will decide what you are to do. He will decide your duties, where you are to go, where you are not to go. It also defines your identity. 
slave is always defined by the identity of their master. They have no identity of their own. As slaves of Jesus Christ, basically, our identity is in Jesus Christ. We have no identity of our own. Jesus Christ is our identity, is our master. That is the same thing. A slave, the Lord decides your identity. Most of the time, they don't even know you by your name. They just say, he's a slave of so so and so. That's what they define you as. Nobody cares to know your name. That is just your identity. He's a slave of so so and so. And Paul gives us the first Lord here is sin. And if you go on obeying sin, you choose to yield yourself as a slave. You are saying, sin, have total and exclusive power over me. I want no other master but you. Take control of my life in every area. You yield yourself. You come and present yourself. Sin, take control. Be my master. And you are under its authority. By that way, you have gone into license again. And we notice this too naturally in our lives. If you sin once, sin another time, you keep on seeing yourself getting worse and worse. Keep on looking around sin. Rather than coming out of that swamp when you fall, you now go on falling again, falling again. You just see yourself going worse and getting into the lifestyle of sin. For example, people who gamble. If they do it once, maybe they win money out of it. They say good. They try again and win more. If they do not, they say, say let's try our luck. Let's try our luck. Because there's greed in their heart. And that sin in their heart is demanding for more. Very, very demanding and tasking master. And you find out that these people, they keep on losing money. To the extent they don't have any money, they even borrow. They become addicts to these things. They become addicts to this gambling. Sometimes they might not even eat food. They will just say, this is their last money. They will not use it to, make, uh, to go and gamble. Maybe the TV pay. And if you paid, we see something. If you don't pay, we suffer. So you see again, they struggle. They can't just stop it. They're in bondage to this gambling. The same thing with smoking. People who smoke, it just starts basically from trying to please their friends. Peer pressure. They smoke once, it, it doesn't feel good, but the peer pressure is still taking in within them, wanting to please their friends. And they take it another time. Before they know, they get intoxicated with this thing. And they become addicts. Some people can't even go a day without smoking. Some of them can't even eat any food without smoking. And the same thing we see with drinking. You see people who are addicted to drinking. They're always going to beer parlors. They see the discussions there in these areas. And they enjoy the discussions that they're having with these people. And they come around these friends. And every day they are becoming drunk. Going back home late. They will be thinking that they are living their best lives, but they are actually in bondage. Big bondage to sin because they are not free. Most people who steal, most people who pickpocket, they didn't become this overnight. 
They've been doing it for a long time. This has always been coming from the internal dispositions in their hearts. And like they say, practice makes perfect. Some unbelievers just get on, just keep on getting depraved more and more and more. Get, go on getting deep into sin. See someone who, who has gone astray from the faith or who has gone astray, who is so very far from Christ. He just go on locking into sin. Sin is a very, very demanding master. You commit one sin and it leads to another. Like I said the other day, if you steal something, basically, you now have the option. So how do you rescue yourself? How do you save yourself again? And I said, no, I must lie. And from that line, it leads to more sin. And obviously, people who have been having this habit of stealing a line, eventually they become frosters. They are able to scam people, cheat people, to make money. And even that shitting doesn't end in just money. It even comes into their marriage. They cannot be faithful in marriages. It just takes over their lifestyle, this sin. You see, for example, in 2 Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba. In that incident, David broke 5 out of 10 commandments in just one incident. He covets Uriah's wife. He bears false witness against Uriah. He steals the wife, Bathsheba. And he commits adultery with her and finally arranges the murder of the husband. This all happened because he chose to obey sin. It was just idle, looking around and he saw something. And he just obeyed that desire within him. And by just choosing to obey this master, he broke five commandments in one incident. And the wages of sin is always death. That is where it always leads to. In one way or another, that is always the payment. Even this David's incident, we see one person had to die. And the wages of sin is death, both physical and eternal death. People ask, what is the proof that everyone is a sinner? What is the proof that we are sin? The proof that no one is righteous is that we all die. We all die. There's nothing we can do about death. Death is a certainty for everyone. Sin makes us decay and corrupt. If you, ask, if you, if you just uh, look at the race, the human history, and we see in Genesis, in the Old Testament, from Genesis, you see the earlier chapters. People used to live 800 years, 700 years. Or even Metzola's 909 years. People lived almost to a millennium death. But over time, it starts seeing degradation. It starts seeing people living 200 years, 100 years. You see as depravity is taking over and people no longer live that world again. Many people try their best to increase the lifespan, to stop death. But death is always a certainty. Even once a baby comes to life, you know that is a certainty. And all these things that we learn from human history shows how depravity has been taken over and people no longer live long. So, I was listening to someone one time, we're just talking, and you're saying that those days their grandparents used to die 
90 something years, 100 years or so. Say nowadays, you just see grandparents, someone is 75, he has already died. Say people no longer live uh, long again. Just see sin, the inner, just coming to death. That's the result, that's the payment. The same thing in our life, if we don't take care of our health, you are sinning against yourself and you die faster. Cigarette manufacturers carries, carry warnings on their packet. Cigarette smokers are liable to die young. Even people who get drunk with alcohol, it affects their systems. And they are prone to die early. Or let's look at even if they don't, they don't die early. Something may lead to that. Let's say someone is drunk and is driving. If he's drunk and he's driving, he gets an accident. He himself dies. Other people could die again in that incident. They see again that sin, that sin is demanding and leading to death. And death is the inevitable consequence of sin. Eternal death is the second death, which is the lake of fire. If you read Revelation 20, verse 20 to 15, it says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, it was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found, they were thrown into the lake of fire for their evil deeds. Someone has said, if you are not born, if you are born twice, you will die once. If you are born once, you die twice. So we must all be born twice. If we want to escape that second death, you must be born again. If you are only born from your mother's womb, you never got born again. You die twice. You die the physical death and die the eternal death in hellfire. If you got born again, you only die the physical death. You are not going to go through the second death at all. Galatians 6. Verse 7 to 8, it says, Do not be deceived, God is no more. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to his spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. If you are the one living, sowing to the, your flesh, to his desires, you are going to reap corruption from it. But those who sow to the spirit are going to reap eternal life. Paul warning believers in Ephesians 5 verse 5 to this says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of this the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know this with certainty. These deeds. With these immoral deeds, you can't hear the kingdom of God. With a lifestyle of sowing to the flesh, you can't. Let no one deceive you with, with empty words. The wrath of God is upon such people who do this. So you have a choice. 
And I tell you today, choose not to obey sin. The consequences are totally bad. The wages is death. It's not a good wage. And do not go back to being in bondage to sin. The second law that we have here is obedience. Now, the first law was sin. Isn't it right that he uses righteousness as the second law? But no, he puts obedience. And there's a reason why. It's kind of implying that as a Christian, who is not under the law, we are not not free from law per se. We are still under a certain law, the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 20 to 21, it says, To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, do not be myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, do not be without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. A believer is characterized by having the obedience of faith. Romans 1.5 says, Through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. A believer obeys the gospel as they obeys the faith. Obedience and faith are too tied together to be faithful. If you have faith, you must be obedient. He chooses to be a slave to obedience. Remember Paul said we choose to be a slave for obedience. That is the natural way a slave is characterized as. Now, Romans 5.19 says, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. One man chose disobedience and resulted in making many sinners. The other man, Jesus Christ, chose obedience and resulted in many, making many righteous. And today, if you choose to be a slave to obedience, if you choose obedience rather than disobedience, it will result in righteousness for you. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 says, As children of obedience, I love that word, as children of obedience. Do not be conformed to the former laws which were in yours in ignorance, but like the only one who called you, be holy yourselves as also in all your behavior, because it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. A children of obedience. Our Father is obedience Himself. God cannot disobey His own word. That's why we say He's faithful to His word. Faithfulness and obedience mean the same thing. Even the Son, Jesus Christ. His obedience too. He was obedient even to the point of death. Death on the cross. And let obedience through the things he suffered. To be slaves to obedience, we must yield totally. Give up our rights. must give up ourselves. Deny ourselves ready to suffer God's way. We ourselves, like the, Lord, the Son of God, we are going to learn obedience through suffering. Our thoughts, our words, and deeds must be brought captive to obedience. Now, you watch, it doesn't say the wages of obedience is eternal life. It says it's righteousness. If he had said the wages is eternal life, then would have petitioned justification or salvation by works. Eternal life is a gift of God. You can't earn it. 
what you earn for your obedience, for being a slave to obedience is righteousness. So the more you choose to obey obedience, the more it results in righteous deeds. Like walking with your hands. For example, if you walk with your hands, that is righteous. It leads to generosity. And being generous, it leads to thanksgiving to God. And those are just righteous deeds from one righteous deed to another. Just on and on. We'll go to the third heading. Know what kind of slaves you are. Verse 17 to 19 says, However, thanks be to God that you used to be slaves of sin. Now you have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you are committed. Now having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. And speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you yielded your slave members in bondage to impurity and to lawlessness unto lawlessness, so now yield your members in bondage to righteousness unto sanctification. Now see Paul brings two divisions, the past and the present. I would like us to look at the past first. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you thank God every day that you, you are not what you used to be? When you remember that you are not what you used to be, do you thank God? Because Paul does thank God here in this text. He says, thanks be to God that they used to be slaves to sin. I also want you to ask yourself a question. Is that what I used to be? Do I used to be a slave to sin? Because if that is not what is true of your past, being a slave to sin is not true of your past, then is either a present reality for you, is either you are still in your sins, you are still a slave to sin, or you can't be in the present reality Paul is talking about here, being a slave of righteousness. In the past, you used to yield your members in slavery or bondage to impurity and lawlessness. Which made you a slave of sin. Now, he uses two words here. Impurity and lawlessness. Why? Because one denotes the inward and the other denotes the outward. What is working in inside actually produces itself in the outward later on. Impurity is moral uncleanliness in thoughts, words and deeds. It's mostly associated with sexual sin in the Bible like in Romans 1.24. It says, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies will be dishonored among them. So you see the impurity in their heart, showed forth in their dishonoring of their bodies, which is external, which is homosexual deeds. Impurity refers to filth or refuse. It describes the filthiness of heart and mind that makes the person defiled. The unclean person sees death in everything. The word impurity suggests that it defies its participants, making them unusable for sacred purpose. What is impure is filthy and repulsive to God. The Greek word for the term impurity, akathesia, was a general term often used of decaying matter like the contents of a grave. It describes any excessive behavior or lack of restraint and speaks more of an internal disposition. An immoral fitness on the inside, whereas the lawless arts of immorality are on the outside. William Barclay, a New Testament commentator, writes that impurity means everything which would unfit a man to enter into God's presence. If it, dis- it describes the life muddied with wallowing in the world's ways, it refers to immoral thoughts, 
passions, ideas, fantasies, and every other form of sexual corruption. Missing with the word. In quote. Missing with the word. Friendship with the word. As a lifestyle of impurity. And I've just described what all of us used to be. At least I hope so. Psalm 23 verse 4, Psalm 24 verse 3 to 4, it says, Whom may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and whom may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to the falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully. For you to come to God's presence, you have to have clean hands and a pure heart. That's why God must do something to your heart. You must be at this stage that such were some of you. You used to be impure, but now you are pure. God must do something in your heart for you to come to his presence. Because you can't come to his presence without impurity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you are not pure in heart, you cannot, you won't see God. And lawlessness is simply the outworkings of these eternal dispositions. Sin defies us, producing corruption and degradation of the sinner. That is why you see in 1 John 1 9, it says, If we go on confessing our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Because once we sin, it, it brings about corruption. That is why we need cleansing every day from this impurity. This impurity affects us. If you see in Psalm 32, verse 3 to 4, David says, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You see the way his body was wasting away just because he kept silent about his sin. So we need cleansing from this impurity. That's why David, at the beginning of the verse, verse 1 could see the blessedness of forgiveness of sins it was just decaying as a result of these impurities that he had been keeping may we not keep silent about our sins lawlessness is basically as first john 3 verse 4 says everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness no law. And when you are lawless, it leads to more lawlessness. As I've been explaining all the why. That is the result. And eventually lead to death. Now let's look at the present. In these verses I just read, we saw three nows that it says. Now, now, now. Now you are a slave of righteousness. How did you become a slave of righteousness? And it says you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to you were committed. This is what we call obedience of faith. You became obedient from your heart. An obedience that stemmed from the heart. What has what this you have actually be convinced of this message and you became obedient to this demand. To repent. And put your faith 
These teachings that Paul is talking about here could range from the gospel about Jesus. This, this is the gospel by which he has saved. You don't just you start the uh, the Christian life with the gospel. You still stand with the gospel. You continue in the gospel. You continue abiding in the gospel. It could also mean the apostles' teachings, like in the Acts two for two, he said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. It all includes that, the gospel, the apostles' teachings, their doctrines. You abide in it. You are obedient to it. You continue in it. Titus one nine says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that it will be able to exalt in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict." That is how you get set free from sin. That is how you keep your freedom. You get set free from sin by believing in the gospel, by being obedient to the gospel. And that is the same way you keep your freedom, by abiding in, that, in those teachings. Because it says you have become now. You have become. You have become. This is the present state reality. You go on molding yourself to these teachings. Become obedient from the heart into the teaching which you are delivered. You conform your thoughts, your words, and your deeds to God's words. You are, you are a word-saturated person. I just want to take us to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 8, verse 31 to 36. He says, so the Jews, so Jesus was, sorry, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Now he says, they had believed in him. That's how you start. You start by believing. But you just stop there. You continue. He says what? You continue in my words. You get free from sin by believing. But to keep that freedom, you have to continue in his words. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. Keep on setting you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus says to them, Answer them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. If you are committing sin continuously, you are a slave of sin. You are in bondage to it. You cannot deceive yourself. That is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly the same thing that Paul is saying here. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. For you to be set free from your sin, you need the son of God. You need Jesus Christ. You need to repent from your sins and put your faith in him to be set free from your sins. And you need to go on believing in him. Go on working in him. That he may go on cleansing you from these sins. That he may save you perfectly. To become perfect. Verse 41, it says, You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Verse 44, it says, You are your father, the devil, and you want to do the desire of your father. It was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Just telling the Pharisees, say, You want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. 
He wants to follow his own nature. But no, we are not like them. Uh, Satan is no longer our father. God is now our heavenly father. So we have been set free from our sins. We want to do his own desires of our father. We want to be obedient to his desires, to his will. So in the presence, you go on yielding yourself. You go on yielding your members in bondage to righteousness. Just as those people who did it went on yielding their self, their members to impurity and lawlessness in the past. You go on yielding your heart and to your your heart to righteousness. And when you yield your heart to righteousness, it results in righteousness indeed. Your your body become, gets in bondage. Your members get in bondage to righteousness. Just as those people who gambled, those people who smoke, those people who drank became addicts over a long period of time. They kept on doing these things. They kept on smoking. They became in bondage to these sins. The same way you go on doing these righteous deeds and you become addicts of righteousness. There are some people obviously who were finding it hard to give before, but they just started. Obviously, the, from the love of God that is in their heart, they started showing forth in this giving. And when they started giving, giving over and over again, yeah, you see people who are addicts of giving. They can't do without giving. There are some people, if they are eating food and they see someone there, they can't do without asking them, can you join me in eating? It has already become a lifestyle for them. They are already in bondage to righteousness, to doing good. And as believers, we are people who are zealous for good deeds. So you become a slave of righteousness. It's actually that simple. The same way you were giving yourself over to sin, you give yourself over to righteous deeds. And you can't you get to the level that you can't even think of doing any other thing than righteous deeds. Because it shows in the outworking of your heart. Righteousness is already overflowing in the heart and it overflows in your deeds. And the result of this righteousness is sanctification or holiness. This is why we know that sanctification is progressive. It's not just a once for all something when you come to Christ. It's also progressive. And you grow in sanctification. You grow in holiness. You have to work out what God has worked in you. So if you want to grow in, in holiness, if you want to grow in sanctification as a believer, go and yield yourself as slaves to righteousness. That's just the way out. That's just the way you can do it. I just want to conclude and end with this quote from one of the great preachers of Britain in the 20th century, David Matiloy Jones. And he writes, he says, and his expositions on romances, the new man. It says, as you go on living this righteous life and practicing it with all your might and energy and all your time, you will find that the process that went on before, which was in the past, in which you went on from bad to worse and became viler and viler, is entirely reversed. You become cleaner and cleaner, and purer and purer, and holier and holier, and more and more conformed unto the image of God. In quote. 
And that is the path to holiness. That is the path to godliness. That is the path to Christ-likeness. You go on living this righteous life. Practicing it with all your might and energy. And you see God is going to attract this righteousness, this holiness within you. Let us pray. Every Father, we thank you for your word that has come mightily upon us. We pray, O oh Lord, that as we have heard your word, O oh Lord, we go yielding our members to our slaves to righteousness. And it is going to result in holiness and sanctification, O oh Lord. May we obey the exhortations, O oh Lord, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is you that has worked it in, in us. Lord, you have made everything simple and easy for us to understand. It doesn't take much of a genius to understand what it takes to be holy, what it takes to live a sanctified life. You have made it simple and clear in your words, O Lord. And we ask today, O Lord, give us the grace, O Lord, to be obedient to this choice that you have given to us. To be in bondage to obedience, to be in bondage to righteousness rather than sin. O Lord, thank you for your word. We bless your holy name, our King of glory. As we go on walking with you, O Lord, Father, may you go on cleansing us from all our unrighteousness, O Lord. And we know, O Lord, we said to you, O Lord, that you will save us completely, that we will be totally free from all sins and totally perfect in holiness in the end. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.